woman, a, a lady who lost her son. Remember, she was given a son miraculously. As uh, kind of Elisha did that for her, just uh, out of the goodness of his heart, because he was thankful for the room that she built for him and, and the hospitality she showed. So we want to look today uh, more at the situation where he dies and is raised again. Um, we finished dealing with the hospitality of this lady. And so I want to kind of start there today. We finished up last week, so we're going to be way behind. Which is that, I don't know, maybe I'll, I don't know, maybe I'll, I'm going to get, chapter 5 to me is the highlight of this book. Naaman the leper and what goes on with him in Elisha is just to me some of the, the best part of this book. But anyway, we saw that the miracles of Elijah and Elisha are similar but inferior to Jesus. We'll see that again today with how the way they raised, the way Elisha raises up this boy is Maybe identical to the way Elijah raised up the uh, widow of Zarephath, uh, her son. Uh, but Jesus, remember, he raised up Lazarus, for instance, and the other ones. He didn't have to stretch out on him and all that. He spoke the word, right? So I think that's one of the things we're to get out of this. But um, it, it shows pictures. Jesus, God's ability to raise from the dead, but also contrast them with uh, the Son of God. Um, and then hospitality, uh, when we finish, isn't just having friends and family over. It is providing for those who need it, regardless of whether they can reciprocate or not. We finish by looking at Matthew 25 and the judgment. Uh, the, the, what marked the difference wasn't that you got saved if you were hospitable and if you weren't hospitable, you were unsafe. But what marked the difference? God can judge by our works because saints of God who have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit live differently. And a lot of people really get uncomfortable when you start talking like that because, but as we've said before, if you look at the every mention of the judgment in the New Testament is always uh, done according to their works. Now, who gets into heaven? Only those in Jesus Christ. Only those whose sins are forgiven. But the judgment is, it's interesting, the judgment is always, you always differentiate the sheep from the goats by the way they live. So it's not work salvation, but it is a very obvious difference. We are different. If you're, if you're saved, you are a different person. And, and, and we saw in Matthew 25, you are hospitable. You meet people's needs. <clears throat> so it's really kind of an important thing to think about. Do I demonstrate the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Because if you don't demonstrate the fruits of the Holy Spirit, then how can you say you have the Holy Spirit? Yes, we're saved by grace, but that grace comes with the Holy Spirit. Uh, remember, Paul says it in, uh, well, I'm um, not sure of the book right offhand, but grace teaches us to deny ungodliness. God gives us grace, and he saves us, but it is comes with effective power. And, and so that's kind of important what to make. <clears throat> Another thing we see here with this lady, as she um, is wealthy, but given a son, a very gracious gift by Elisha, but loses him in death, is that God provides blessings but they're not always trouble-free, and I think that, that those are some of the things that stream out of these passages we've been looking at. 
<clears throat> I've seen people's faith shaken when they thought God had provided something, and then all of a sudden there's a snag. It's like, well, what in the world? I have, what's going on here? Because God doesn't just give us things on a silver platter so that we can just uh, have beds. You know, the song says, shall I go to heaven on flowery beds of ease? No, we're here to fight a war, to, to demonstrate through suffering, probably more so than anything else, the, the goodness of God. And so they don't, um, you know, so, so someone might say, well, you know, they can pray for God, I need a car, and God provides for the car, and then after a month it breaks down, and then what? They don't, they don't know what to do with it. Well, you, what, you, what you do is you live by faith. You, you do your best for the Lord, and you, you take these things and you serve Him well, and you trust Him to provide in those situations too. We can't get thrown off guard because what seemed to be a, a, this huge blessing from the Lord, uh, and, and then he takes it away. Because this is what happened with both of these women, right? <clears throat> that we've seen here with, with these two. Um, so just because there are difficulties doesn't mean that they're not a blessing from the Lord. Uh, there might be potholes along the way, but the Lord knows what he's doing. He knows what we need. He knows what, you know, because our problem is that we just kind of usually think of our own little universe and ourselves at the center of it. At best, our family, and every, how everything, but, but we don't know what the Lord is doing. If with your problem, it might bring you in contact with the car mechanic or the, the, the contract or whoever it is that helped you, and you're, you could be a witness to them. You don't know what the Lord's doing. So instead of saying, oh me, you know, my car broke down right after I got it, well wait just a minute, perhaps the Lord's going to use uh, me to help somebody, to, to something, you know, who knows? And uh, don't try to outguess God. Right? <clears throat> and so this woman meets, she helps Elisha, and the Lord give, gives her a great blessing with this child for her faithfulness. But sometimes God's blessings are a mixed bag of, of joy and sorrow. And, and you can have blessings that, that bring sorrow. If it, if it makes you like Christ, if it, if it deepens your faith and your love for the Lord, it's, it's a blessing, right? You remember our definition of blessing. So, you know, it's, sometimes it's kind of like the, the kid who begs for a dog, but, uh, soon the novelty of that wears off and you realize that comes with a lot of responsibility. You know, I gotta go out and, uh, shovel up the poop out of the backyard every, uh, week. You know, that's no fun. You know, I know that see they got contraptions for cats now in the house where you don't it bags it for you, everything you don't have to do anything. I don't have seen any of those things, but not so with the dog. But dogs make up for it because they're a lot better than cats anyway. But um <clears throat> she, she's happy enough with her lot in life. And she's even a little wary of when the when when Elijah Elisha says this, she says, basically, don't are you kidding me? No, or don't kid me, don't play around with me. Right? Um where is that? Um, we read this last week. Oh yeah, verse 16. He says, At this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace the son. And she said, No, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. It's like she's saying, you know, don't, don't tease me with this. It's not funny. Because this is a great blessing. And, uh, <coughs> but she knows that it might not come without some strings attached. 
that she's that bored, no doubt. But um, now, when I say strings attached, perhaps that's not the best way to think to, to speak of the Lord's blessings that when it's strings attached, right? Because that's that's usually a negative connotation, you know. I'm doing you a favor, but I expect something, right? Well, let's think about it. The Lord obviously doesn't do it in that way, but the Lord doesn't give us grace and then say, okay, do what you want to do, right? What he does for us is that he would receive glory. So maybe I said using the, the phrase strings attached isn't the best way of saying it, but if our happiness is all that matters, we're going to have a hard time with life, period. Because life doesn't always make us happy, give us ease. And so everything the Lord gives us and does for us has a purpose, and that is to glorify himself and to edify us and to serve others. So there's a purpose. It's not a, it's a free gift because everything that God gives us, we don't deserve. So it's an undeserved gift. But if there's a purpose in it, and that's not a bad thing. That's, that's a good thing. It's a holy thing. He doesn't just plot things in our lap for no reason. And so even the good things are for his glory. So when he takes them away sometimes, because now he's going to work in another way, we should not be surprised. And so Romans 8.28 tempers life, because life is always going to be a mixed bag. Good or bad, we know that all things work together for good, right? And that's, look out, that verse Life would be much more difficult to make sense of and to cut them to live. And so the Lord does things to bring us into the game, as we talked about last week. Uh, you know, He's not going to let us sit idly by. And if He does, and, and we don't all enter the fray the same way, but the less you're involved, and the less the Lord lets you just, is the less reward there is in heaven. So, uh, don't be afraid to for trials, for unexpected things to happen, for to to have to deal with uncomfortable situations, to invite people into your home. Nobody knows. We all know, right? That it, you're more comfortable when you when you don't have guests. Even when you have family, when we have our children in and our grandchildren in, we love to do that. There's a sense in which. When they're gone, you don't have to shut the doors anymore. All the, you know, you just, it's just you two, and, and, and it's more comfortable. But what do you lose out when you don't, when you just do everything for comfort's sake? You, you, you lose out in relationships. You lose, lose out in serving others. And, and that, so you've got to get out of your comfort zone. Don't be afraid of that. And, and I know a lot of people, and I think all of us at one time or another probably struggle to some degree, or at least a lot of us do. Where you just are so happy to sit at home with your life that you don't do things, you don't get involved because you're you say, well, you're afraid or you're shy, whatever the excuses are, because it's uncomfortable. But, but that's okay. And uh, Elisha is uh, this woman is inviting Elisha and a servant into her home. Elisha is ministering to her and. So she's going to come to him, and, you know, my son has died, 
And he doesn't say, well, you know, that's, it's the Lord, and then they do about it. You know, he, he's in a situation where he can do something about it. At least he's going to give it, he's going to try. And, uh, and so, we, you know, we, we should take these scenes, I think, it's good examples for us to follow. So anyway, that kind of leads us to today's message. And, uh, we're not going to get too far, but it's okay. Um, <clears throat> the relationship between Elijah and this woman shows that she is committed to the Lord. She's, she's made this room for him, for him, right? There's, there's feet to her profession or feet to her faith. We, we, and we'll see in a minute that she is a woman of faith. The way she speaks to him shows that he, that her love for him and because he's ministers God's word to her, uh, his prophetic office, she, she takes him seriously. She's committed. Uh, her commitment to him is seen in this room. She's willing to be imposed upon, as we've talked about, the hospitality is a, a, I think it's a reason why hospitality is a qualification for elders. Because it is part and parcel of, of godliness, of, of the Christian life. A, a Christian that is not hospitable in a sense is an oxymoron. So it, it's a qualification for an elder. You've got to be willing to put yourself out for other people. To, to be called out of your house when you're comfortably settled in for the night and all of a sudden you got to go out and do something, right? But that's how we all should be. All the qualifications for elders, for the most part, are things that the congregation should seek after. Some, some you know, only maybe for the men, but even so. <clears throat> so she's rewarded with Elijah's sixth miracle, that is a baby boy. Um... But our, our our story just isn't about the good here, because it doesn't end here. And so being a prophet has its blessings and its curses, so to speak. The, the child dies. You know, she wasn't asking for the child. She's a little leery that she would get it. And the, the prophet must have been so pleased with himself, and I don't mean in a bad way, but he, he you know, Gehazi actually the one who suggested it. You know, this is a couple, he, at least he is very old. Uh, it would be miraculous for her to have a baby. Let's give her a baby. And so, you know, the baby, the child grows up. Elisha's off at Mount Carmel uh, doing prophet things. And life is good. And all of a sudden, this, this, this baby that he gave to her has died. So, in a sense, he's responsible for it. That's just why she comes to him, no doubt. And again, not to blame him as such, but, you know, you can kind of imagine how he feels. And so again, it's part of the Christian life. The trials are what makes us profitable servants. It, it was a great blessing. Elisha was, had been elevated in his family's life because of, in view, because of what he did. And it turns, it all of a sudden turns south on him. Now all of a sudden coming to him saying, what have you done? Yeah, again, so, you know, you've got to be ready for that kind of stuff. If we're going to be profitable servants, it's, if we're going to be trained, we're going to have to be able to handle difficulty. You know, when the Navy SEALs finally, you know, killed Obama, uh, Osama bin Laden, uh, they there was great celebration. There were parades, and they no doubt felt great about themselves. 
they they didn't just get there. You know, if you know anything about the trade of Navy SEALs, you got to go through some pretty miserable situations. Great, great stress and difficulty before you're going to be sent to do something like that. She said, well, Lord, I want to be a blessing to others. I want to do something for the Lord. I don't want to just sit there and, and be receiving everything. Let help me to be able to do something for the Lord. Well, it's, he's going to have to train you and teach you and, and all those kind of things. It doesn't just come without responsibility and in trials. <clears throat> so, you know, when, when you get a, a, you know, a young man gets a, a, a new car or a first car or whatever, and, you know, you've been dreaming about it, right? And all of us remember, some of you still are waiting for that first car. It's your freedom to go out and do stuff, right? And, you, and you're dreaming. I I can remember just dreaming about, kind of daydreaming about what I would do if I had a car, if I had a motorcycle, right? Where I'd go and just the whole trip. But when you get it, all of a sudden you've got bills paid. It, it doesn't come without responsibility. You've got breakdowns. You've got insurance. The main of everything. You know, so blessings like life can be a mixed bag. But the Bible is quite upfront about this. And it's necessary that we are ready for the trials. The Lord says, take up your cross and follow me. And it, it's, it's one of those sayings that are so quaint to us, so often repeated that we fail to realize so often and remember that that the phrase take up your cross means that in following me expect well first of all you've got to die to self and you don't have to die to self if everything's going to go good if everything's just going to be uh, uh, you know I, if I'm at the health and wealth gospel says if I'm just full of faith and I'll be victorious and all that I pursue uh, what's the cross for? Well, what being the cross? But the cross, dying daily, means dying to self because it means things are going to happen to you that you've got to be willing to say, that's okay, Lord. I'm willing to give that up. I'm, I'm willing to suffer that pain. I'm willing to lose that friend. I'm willing to lose that family member. Whatever it takes because I'm here to serve you. The cross means that life is going to be full of trials. The Bible is very upfront. Jesus is very upfront about that. And so Elijah and Elisha seem to both have bounced back, back and forth between mountaintop experiences and some pretty low times, right? You know, you see that with Elisha, or you saw it with Elijah, and, and the prophets of Baal, and then soon he's on the run, and he's down, you know, uh, kind of, the whole, everything had changed. Well, I think Elijah expected there to be great revival, and it just didn't happen, and, it, and it's been, it, he struggled with that. Think about the disciples rolling across uh, the uh, Sea of Galilee at Jesus' command. We, we saw this in uh, John 6, but of course that's been like five years ago. So. Um, but remember, uh, they, he tells them to, to go ahead, but he's going to stay and pray. So, if there was anybody in the history of mankind who was in Jesus' will, it was those twelve disciples as they're rolling across the Sea of Galilee. Only 
to have a storm just about kill them until the Lord comes at the last minute and saves them, right? And so they could have said, well, Lord, we obeyed you. Look what we got for it. Or you could just say, well, Lord, this is our, your will for me now, and I'm willing to accept that. You can be in miserable situations and still be in the Lord's will. And I think, there, I think there's, a, there's a whole mindset of Christianity out there that cannot accept that and perhaps will not accept that. But I think, again, you have to start reading the Bible a little bit. Another thing about this woman having a child is that barren women, and we've made this point earlier, I think, in, in the Old Testament, Barren women miraculously having children is one of the motifs of the Bible. And we've seen it. But who can name, name, there's several of them, you know, name them. Who can name any of them? You know, just all out. Sarah? Hannah? Elizabeth, right? Um, Re- Rebecca? Remember, uh, let me sure I get that right. Not Rebecca, Rachel. Um, what was uh, what, what, what was Rebecca also? I can look back. I, I, it could be Rebecca too. Uh, Manoah's wife, Samson's Samson's mother, uh, the Shumanite lady that we have here, and then like say Elizabeth. So there there are several. Uh, and of course, part of that is. It, 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 it's a it's a it's a motif that that says something's coming, some woman's coming. She's gonna have a miraculous baby, and of course, there's gonna be the Lord toward Jesus. We're gonna actually deal with that in the, in the second message today. <clears throat> but but this woman and the uh, the uh, widow of Zarephath in, in with Elijah are different in that their sons were not gonna be raised up to be great leaders. Great patriarchs, certainly not the Messiah, right? These are just two ladies who have sons who um, we never hear of again, <clears throat> just ordinary sons, which is okay. So, so sometimes the Lord's gifts aren't to procure some grand design. They're just given to ordinary people so they can uh, serve him in, in their own situation. We certainly see that. But another thing, reason I think that happens to these two ladies, uh, which is kind of interesting, is because in Hebrews 11.35, that's the chapter where the great faith of many of the Old Testament saints are put before us as an examples of what faith is, what, what faith can accomplish, what a black person is saying to begin with, so that they might live by faith. And in verse 35, it says, women receive back their dead by resurrection, and by faith with them received by faith. Well, if you look at all the, uh, there says women, first of all, so there's more than one, and there's only two women in the Old Testament who received back people from the dead. And we just got through studying both of them, right? Elijah and Elisha. So, it, 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 it seems to be, unless it happened and we're not told about it, but that's generally speaking, we would assume that, that there's something there in the Old Testament that would verify that. These would be, the, these two women believed in God. And God is in one sense rewarding them for their faithfulness. They were faithful, they were living by faith. 
And so that's a, an interesting thing to think about as well. Um, so both of these women become fruitful through the Lord's blessings, but the blessings create problems, as we've you know, been saying. And so in verse 13, apparently she, she has no needs. I remember from last week, she, she was a, they were a wealthy couple, and uh, when Elijah, Elisha first wants to do something for her, he says, um, what can we do for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king? Which would uh, be, in other words, is there is there a, something politically the government can do for you? Do you have a situation in which the king can help you? Or it says, or should, how about the command of the army? What would you, would it, perhaps you have a, a, an enemy and you need someone to step in. You know, these people who can help you. And she says, no. She says, I grew up among my own people. Life's good. I don't have enemies. I don't have any situations that, that, that are pressing upon me that's a problem. I'm, I'm good. It's interesting. She has no needs. But in verse 28, when the Lord takes away that son, now all of a sudden she's become needy. So perhaps that's one reason why the Lord does this. She's a woman with no fault of her own. Life has been good. Well, except that she doesn't have any children. And uh, so she gets them. And then all of a sudden, the Lord takes them away. And now all of a sudden, she does have a need. And so it's Elijah, Elijah saying to her, what needs do you have that I can help? Now she's coming to Elisha on Mount Carmel. I've got a big need. So she had to learn what it is to be needed. She had to learn what it is to trust in the Lord, to live by faith. And that's what Hebrews, I think, is referring to to some degree. <clears throat> so, um, such accounts force us to consider these things. Um, and one thing that we have to consider, another thing, and this is probably all we'll get to today, and that is that um, we, it, it it forces us to think about what kind of God God is. What kind of God gives a woman a child and has a child die? Because as far as we know, only two women in the history of mankind have ever gotten a kid back. So the Lord takes a lot of women's children and other things and doesn't give them back. And so the Bible, unapologetically, forces us to consider what kind of God God is. And uh, that's certainly, this would be a place where that does that. There's other places like what we talked about where he told Israel to go in and in some cases kill man, woman, child. Completely annihilate the population of this man. That's the kind of God we have. Well, that's not the last word about God. But it, is, it says something about God. It says something about his holiness. Says something about how we view sin. Says something about the judgment. Says something about God being God and so forth. But if we, when we read these things, the wrong conclusion would be that well, God is mean. God doesn't care about this woman. Doesn't care about the person that you're. No, um, because we know that that's not the kind of God is. God's a God of love and compassion, but. Doesn't mean that you can ignore sin and what sin has brought into the world. 
And so God is, is a God who loves us, a God of compassion, but he's still a God who can crush his children to some degree. Because we have to remember that there's nothing about it. When he does that, he's still the God at whom? The God that we, on Sunday, sing praises to. The God that we are thankful to for all he's done for us. The God who has given us Christ freely. And saved us in spite of ourselves. When he crushes us on Monday morning, it's the same God. And he doesn't do that so that we can say, I didn't, everything I did yesterday I didn't mean anymore. I'm mad at you now. No. That's, that's fickle human nature. That's, that's our tendency, right? But instead, it is to say, okay, I gotta remember why I'm here. I gotta remember what the Lord's doing. I gotta remember that that child was never mine to start with. And it was lent to me, and He's taken him back. Whatever He's done. And so we think of verses like Romans six twenty two. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and again eternal life for you were bought with a price so glorify God in your body so these, these verses remind us of who we are and what we're here for and nothing changes just because the blessing has been taken away any more than it changes when all of a sudden we receive the blessing so as we said if you, if you crucify yourself daily and that of course is, is in your mind in your heart if you consider your body not your own, then you're going to do a lot better under fire than those who think that God owes them something. You know, that, that God owes them an easy life until they die. They get, they get good reward. No. We're, we're here to serve the Lord. He's, we're here for Him, not for ourselves. And so, it's important for us to Remember these things, and when we read passages like this, that, that God is a multi-orb, multi-faceted God. He, he, you got to look at God from many angles, from the angle of sinful man, from the angle of holiness, the angle of love, justice, wrath, sovereignty. All the different things come into play to understand the Lord. And that's why we try to uh, emphasize these things as we go through the scripture because if we just tell Bible stories, I just get up here and talk about how Elijah raises this woman and everybody looked happily ever after and we don't just really stop and just think about what's going on here and deal with the questions of someone have like we did that like say when Israel had to kill these cities, had to annihilate these cities you got to stop and think about that. What were they, what kind of people were these kind of, you know, what was going on in those towns and so forth. <clears throat> and so let's just close here in verse 20. <clears throat> we really haven't got to the actual resurrection. Um, but in verse 20, uh, When, when this child was evidently had a heat stroke, about a heat stroke, it would appear. And when he had lifted him up, 
and brought him to his mother. The child sat in her lap till noon, and then he died. So she's a, he's a young child. You know, who knows how, you know, but you're young enough to, to where he can sit on her lap till noon. You can do that with a 15 year old. Right? So he's a young child. And it's an important verse because it reminds us <clears throat> that children die young sometimes. And so, while we've dealt with our response to that, let's consider, first of all, what our responsibility is to the children that we have that are alive. Since they can die young, since you don't know how long you have with them, training them in the things of the Lord is vitally important. <clears throat> and I don't mean just teaching them some Bible stories, but teaching them <clears throat> the Bible about depravity, about their need for salvation, their sinfulness. Teach them about hell, the consequences of sin. Teach them about Christ, of course, all that in light of the gospel. But the gospel will, be, will mean nothing to a child who doesn't see their sinfulness, right? But teaching them the truth. Don't fall into the trap that our society is in where kids will be kids. Just let them do what they want to do. Let them play video games all day long or whatever. No, train those children to understand the seriousness of existence, the seriousness of life. Life is, we're here at God's whim, at God's, uh, in God's will, for God's purposes. And it's true of the child just as much. You're not here to just, you know, be silly all the time. I mean, kids are kids, uh, you know, I'm not trying to say you three-year-olds got to act like an adult. But as they grow, teach them to understand what's going on. Their souls are at stake. And, and, and a parent who just wants their kid to go out and have fun all the time, right up into their teenage years, what if the Lord takes that child at 12? And you have just said, well, he's got all kinds of time. I, I want him just to have fun. Well, what is fun? What, whatever that means, what's that going to mean in a hundred years? <clears throat> the things that we Hold so important. And it's a good thing to think about now, now again. What will this mean in a hundred years? Well, if it hasn't been used to serve the Lord, it won't mean anything. It'll be forgotten. Future children as well. So, there's nothing, absolutely nothing you can do for your child more important than teaching them their need of Christ. And what does this say about the average parent today? Because many spend ungodly amounts of time and money making sure their kids uh, are involved in you know, sports at school or whatever. And I'm not saying those things are necessarily wrong. You know, I did some, I did some of that. Um, of course, I remember my senior year, I was, I was on the baseball team. I was first base. You know, just couldn't have been happier. Had a few games under my belt. Went out and got two speeding tickets in, in, a, in a matter of two weeks. And, and we were dirt poor. So my dad, you know, he, he went and begged them off and got reduced best he could. And, of course, he should have had me do it there, but, you know, whatever. Um, and uh, I quit the baseball team. Because, again, I, I, first of all, I'm going to college, you know, in the fall. 
I, I've got to start acting like an adult. I, I'm out here getting tickets. I need to be working. And I quit and I started working. You know, but, you know, and then that was just me and my situation. But you got to understand what life's going on here. And, and playing baseball or whatever sport you're good at is all fun and it's fun. But you're not, you're not going to make a living doing it. And, and if you are, I'd be, I'd be very careful. I'd warn people because professional sports, uh, as a rule, you have a rough time being involved in church. But anyway, that's a whole other subject. Either way, it's, it's, it is, you know, it's going to be very, very few. It's going to ever, that's good. So in other words, get your priorities right. And all this reminds us of how lightly we need to hold on to God's temple blessings because they can be taken so easily. Hold Tightly to Christ and everything else more loosely. And some things very loosely, right? I don't think this woman had made that child her idol. She says in verse 28, Did I ask the Lord for my son? Did I say, do not deceive me? So she's, I, I think she has a, her head screwed on very well, but she obviously wants her child back, right? And so, the Lord blesses her, and we'll get into all of that we'll next week. Any questions or comments? Yes, George. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love to us this day and for your goodness to us. Thank you for these some somewhat difficult subjects. Lord, as we consider the fact that that why things happen to us and how we are to react, knowing that someday, though, it will all be worth it when we are with you in glory. We pray, Lord, for our second service, that you would bless our time together. We pray for those who are not here, that you would watch over them and whatever they might be going through. And uh, we just look forward to, uh, again, sitting ourselves around the Word of God and being edified by the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name.